Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to episode 13 of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. Um, I'm Charlie and tonight we've got Billy, we've got Rosa and we've got Tom. Um, Sadly, no Ash tonight, but we will do our best. Um, We're going to be covering off the two games recently that captured perfectly the glory and the grief of being a Spurs fan. We're going to award our midterm grades to the entire squad. We're going to dip our toes into the very murky transfer waters and of course, give you our latest and greatest culture picks. Um, To start off, as I said, we're going to talk about the two most recent Premier League games, Um, two very different games, as I said. Um, So I would like from each of you, one thing you enjoyed about the Leicester and Chelsea games, asking you which thing you enjoyed about those two games feels slightly ridiculous, but we can kind of get a bit more granular perhaps than the ecstasy of uh, the two last minute winners. Um, and one thing you really didn't like, um, Billy, you can kick us off. What did you enjoy about Leicester and Chelsea? Um, yeah, I'm not going to state the obvious because obviously Leicester is probably the best experience we've had this season and the best experience we've had for maybe a few years. Um, but the thing that I liked about it the most was just I think it's the best we've played under Conte. Um, I think it was the best uh, attacking performance. I think it was the most comfortable we've looked in a formation. Um, obviously the ending was incredible and that goes without saying but I think even before then it was just kind of one of those things where if we'd have lost that game it would have been devastating but you could have kind of looked at it and think that we did not deserve that at all that we played really really well and we're like carving out trying to put me out over 20 shots against Leicester away which was really good um, Harry Kane looked like he was actually properly back which was incredible um, so I think the, the best thing about it for me is the way that we played in general and then obviously the end was incredible um, and the annoying thing is just like this demonic hold that like Chelsea does have over us. Um, it's just like, I'm just so sick of Chelsea Football Club in general, as always would be. But I think I don't think we've scored against Tuchel yet since he's been there. Um, I think we've played them four times this season, haven't scored a single goal. We've lost all four. Um, 
and I think it's weird as a fan because you know I hate Chelsea; they're one of my big, our biggest rivals. But I think it's easy to get sort of lost in the sort of disappointment that losing to Chelsea brings. When really, our season is not going to be defined over losing to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. It's something that we always happens, but it just kind of feels like it's sort of dampened the whole mood on the club and everything that's around them. There's again the sort of weird paranoia that people are talking about Conte leaving and are we going to back Conte and all this. And really, when you it's hard. The thing that annoys me the most about losing to Chelsea, it's hard to sort of disassociate that as a fan um, to think actually it's not a result that's going to define our season. What will define our season is what's coming after that. The next two games against you know, Southampton and Wolves, if we pick ourselves up against them, that's going to be much more important to finish in the top four than, than losing to Chelsea. So I think it's been a really, really good spell under Conte and I don't think it's come to an end just because we've lost to Chelsea in summary. I was just annoyed, I think, that we only got, what, three days of post-Leicester euphoria to just drink in the ridiculous like ecstasy of what we'd watched um, that night before Chelsea come along in true Chelsea fashion and just sort of trash all that fun um, with, like Billy says, that demonic hold that they have over us. Um, let's keep it Let's keep it up, though. Rosa, um, what did you enjoy about those two matches? God, I really loved Kane's celebration. I loved it. It felt like, do you remember? Oh God, I don't even, I don't remember exactly what game it was, but in like Poch's first season and he walks off the pitch going, never fucking give up. And it's like, that's, I think that's the last time we ever heard Harry Kane swear. <laughs> um, and I think he said something similar or it felt, it just had that sort of similar vibe of, I'm so happy to be here, even, you know, even if he's not whatever. Um, and even, I don't think necessarily means anything for, you know, the summer or whatever, but just to feel like in that moment, he, it felt like he was one of us again, made me really, really happy. And I loved um, Hoybier's like block and then turn for, to, to give the um, goal, the, to give the ball to Kane for the, God, I don't even know, was it, was it the, was it the third goal or the second goal? Can't remember. The third goal. The third, the third goal. goal. Yeah. Um, and so again, like so, also maybe Stevie B making me care about him when I'd said I don't really care at all. You're meaningless <laughs> to me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I love you. Um, so yeah, just on obviously everything about that game with Chelsea. I just, I can't believe we've never even like fluked a win against them. Our our record there is just out of, I really think it's out of all proportion to how good they've been and how bad we've been. I really, I can't believe we've only won there once in like 31 years. It's crazy. Like terrible teams have won there, I'm sure, in the time where we've done nothing. And I think what I, I think we played pretty well. I know like the whole, um, the lineup had us all sort of scratching our heads didn't it but it seemed to work for the most part and when Kane scored I just thought that's it it's worked but then when it was immediately disallowed and another ridiculous decision I think that's when I just thought it's just going to be another one of those days isn't it we're not Mm. we're not getting past them we're not allowed to have that so I feel pleased with the performance I'm gonna you know I'd like to give the team like a for effort against Chelsea, which we couldn't really take for granted in the in previous years. Um, but yeah, the, I think also there's something really galling about the fact that we've taken two ex-Chelsea managers there and we've got nothing out of it as well. 
But I think Billy's completely right. I think it's absolutely meaningless in the context of our season. I think Leicester, by contrast, was utterly pivotal. I think if we'd lost that, it could have been quite damaging. And to win, and not only to win, but to win in that way is massive. And amazing. um, And I loved every second of those last four minutes. (laughs) um, And Rosie, you spoke so so beautifully about the experience of watching that game uh, on BBC Radio London during the week as well, which uh, you so also much fun. was so such much a fun. pro that you, I think you got in at least two plugs for the podcast. So you're <laughs> definitely um, allowed on BBC Radio London or any other uh, decent radio station, whenever you want to represent yeah, the podcast. Yeah, I'm available. Just you're available. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> that was so much fun. My face did feel incredibly hot when I put the phone down. <laughs> Uh, you were Just you were magnificent. Sort of you in really a frenzy, were. but thank you. It was brilliant. Um, I the Chelsea game really reminded me, and this is like one of those whiny Spurs fan things that I think we can only really talk about amongst ourselves. Although I did, I did tweet it and got some predictable responses, but. Just and I think we've spoken about this before, but just how incredibly unfair it is that we as a club face at least six massive, massive derbies against clubs who treat us as their number one sort of derby of the season, cannot lose at any cost derby. And apart from maybe Man United, who have what City, Liverpool and I guess Leeds now, I don't think there's anyone else that faces this sort of torrent of you know, enormous fixtures coming at you all the time. And it's not just obviously the Chelsea players that get massively up for it, but, you know, the crowd. And, you know, there is, I know there was lots of people saying, why can't we go to Chelsea and go to toe-to-toe with them like, you know, Brighton did on Monday night or other teams have in this poor run that Chelsea have been on recently. But Chelsea do not treat those games in the way that they do against us. And it puts us at such a, huge disadvantage let alone if you know we're going into those games playing some sort of mad enforced or unenforced depending on what your Conte stance is sort of four fullback formation you know it it's just so hard and Chelsea was so fired up and the crowd was so into it that it just reminded me of this huge handicap we have each each, each and every season that you know you compare the atmosphere to like an Arsenal Chelsea game where you know, they're just like selling each other players and the crowd are just exchanging songs about how much they hate Spurs and it's all very, you know, Chelsea Fulham. It's ridiculous. Anyway, that's the thing that annoyed me. Um, Tom, go on, do your thing you like, thing you didn't like, please. As you said, the problem is so many things that worked really well at Leicester, I think, weren't great against Chelsea. Um, although I think, as Rosa said, I was fairly happy after the first half of Chelsea. I thought... Um, Dyer and Dav did pretty well, especially in that first half. Um, but yeah, Leicester, Doherty had came on second half and had, was that was by far the best he's played for us. Um, and also that was Hoybier's um, best game in a long time, I think, the Leicester game. He yeah. was he was absolutely excellent. So but yeah, um, those Doherty and Hoybier didn't weren't exactly great against Chelsea, I don't think. And you know, my my biggest downer is that we, in four games against them this season, we haven't scored a goal. Uh, I find that incredibly depressing. What's the aggregate? Eight nil. 
Is it eight or nine? Eight. I think it's eight, yeah. Um, but we did, Tom, we did score a goal and it was like stolen from us. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> yeah, we did. And I'm still furious about that refereeing decision. And just one other thing that I wanted to mention about Leicester on the bright side. Did everyone hear the BT commentator talk about John Moss's record shop? Yes, uh, it's got an amazing name. Vinyl Whistle. <laughs> John Moss owns a record shop in Leeds. I had to look up the website. It's in Headingley in Leeds. He looks super cool on the, on the website. He's a bit <laughs> of like a kind of mod guy. It looks like a wicked record shop and it's called Vinyl Whistle. And weirdly, after going on the website, I realised that my old friend John Earls, of, of, uh, who used to write for Teletext, Planet Sound, uh, the music section of Teletext, he's got a column on the website of John Moss's record shop. So anyway, I need to do like a leads away just to go to John Moss's record shop. What a hero. There we go. Podcast trip to leads away. He allowed us to play on our, into seven minutes of extra time. So thanks, John Moss. <laughs> a new favourite ref. Um, that's a nice place to uh, to leave that sort of roller coaster of a, of a two matches. There was also another game on Sunday uh, that Spurs were involved in that didn't go particularly well. Um, Spurs women faced Man United away. Um, Rosa, not not a great day. No, pretty miserable, to be honest. And I don't... It wasn't even... The problem's not even that game. I think that was always a, probably a write-off. Maybe not a write-off, but I wouldn't have expected anything. Yeah, a bit of a free hit. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have expected maybe a, you know, a hard-fought draw. Um, I think the problem is was sort of in the weeks preceding that, really, with the last-minute um, goal uh, that West Ham scored. So, sort of not making the most of the chances that we've had to kind of put more points on the board. So, it's sort of, so now I think we're back in fourth with Man City in fifth, but coming really into form. And, like, they've had so many players out injured, and I think loads of those players are all right now. So, it feels a bit like top three Champions League isn't going to happen this season, which is disappointing in the context of this season, but not in the context of the sort of achievement of that team overall, because to finish fourth or, you know, even fifth, I think it would be amazing, really. Um, and it's just about now what they do in the summer and get someone who can actually, because I think we make quite a lot of chances. It's a pretty well-organised mm. team, uh, fun to watch. I think if they can just get someone else who can score goals regularly, then really... Like Champions League is definitely a possibility next season. It does seem to be Rachel Williams is the only kind of reliable source of goals. And she, I might be wrong here, but is not an out and out striker, striker, I don't think. So I think having someone to support her and yeah, just to look to put away the crosses that Naz puts in and the work that Neville does in the other wing, sort of from fullback. We seem to be, anytime I watch those women, the amount of chances we create is just phenomenal. But I feel like we say this every week. Yeah, just missing that that goal scorer. Um, and hopefully, yeah, they can bounce back in the uh, Conti Cup, which we have a semi-final against, unfortunately, who's it against, Rosa? <laughs> it is Man City away. So that's not ideal. But again... Maybe they'll rest players because it's probably not yeah. a huge priority for them. Yeah, you would have thought because they are quite far behind now in the league and you'd think they'd want to make up the points um but also do you know what a semi-final that's amazing yeah. as well so absolutely yeah we are sort of slightly downbeat um 
kind of mood around Spurs women in the last couple of weeks should in no way um, overshadow the incredible work that that team is doing every week. And yeah, as you said, Rosie, they're playing great football. They're defensively really solid and just needs sort of one or two extra bits of stardust, I think, across that team. And next season, I think Champions League could be definitely on. And who knows? Maybe we'll pick it up in the second half of the season. Um, speaking of second halves of the season, moving us on uh, in my effortless way there, um, we've now played 20 games in for the Spurs men. Uh, we're right in the middle of things. Um, and it's international break as we speak, which is essentially a bit of a mid-season break for the players as well. Um, so it felt like a nice time for us to dole out some old-fashioned mid-term grades for the squad. Um, so we split the squad up between the four of us. Um, and we played teacher, which is a bit of a busman's holiday for our Billy. Um, but Billy, you can go first. Your players uh, that you were doled out completely at random, um, sort of at random, were Galini, Romero, Joe Roden, Harry Winks, Brian Hill and Hyung Min Son. So if you can take us through your scores, please, with a little uh, kind of mini assessment of, of why you've given that score to that player, please. Teacher Billy, sorry, first, can you just uh, explain the parameters? Like, how, what's the worst mark here? Yeah, that would be useful, Teacher Billy. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I just, I feel, yeah, as you say, it's a bit of a bus man's holiday for me. Um, I think we've gone from D is the lowest, right? And then A plus, I guess, is the highest. Um, <clears throat> so um, I think it's been like a bit of a weird season because if you sort of look back over the, the course of the season, there it's not been like a standout. There aren't many standout individuals. It's kind of sort of stuttering by but doing well enough um and obviously the most exciting thing that's happened to us all season is our manager coming so it's been a bit of a weird season of players i don't want to be too negative about these guys that i've got but um i haven't particularly given massive grades to any of them but i think it's th that kind of sums up the season really we've just sort of amples along and conte sort of towing us towards the top four line more than anything um i think it's been a, a bit of a weird one for individual players so um Starting off with Galini, though, who is a player I never want to see play for Spurs again, simply. Um, he's, that was the easiest grade of a lot. Straight D. <laughs> um, and I think it's summed up by the fact that I saw a picture of him in Dubai today and he looks like a sort of extra in a 90s hip-hop video and it just instantly made me hate him even more. He just looks like so cheesy and like he's wearing like a sort of 90s era bling and like sunglasses and stuff. Like, who, why do we sign this guy? Who is this guy? Like, whose goalkeeper is this? Honestly, I, I never want to see him play for Spurs again. Um, I, you know, very hard to be critical of Conte, but that decision to play him against Chelsea was was mad. Um, I, I, you know, I really hope we don't ever see him play for us again. Um, Romero, which I found a really difficult grade to give. I'm, I'm giving him a C+. Plus. Um, obviously, if you if you took the games that he's played, it would be a much higher grade than that. But there's just simply not been enough. Um, and because of like the whole weird Argentina thing that happened, it's hard to give him any anything above a C. I think so. Giving him a C plus, I have no doubts about his talent. I think he's going to be an incredible incredible signing for us. Um, it's just frustrating that we haven't seen him more. Um, Roden again, another weird one. I had to give him a D. Simply, I can't even remember anything that he's done for us this season. May not necessarily be his own fault. He's just never ever fallen in favour with any of the four managers that he's been under. Um, so I'm pretty sure he'll probably be moved out this window. Um, I don't think he's like always. He's not sort of one of those players that has looked terrible anytime he's played. But it's just there must be something about him that none of the man managers fancy. I got Winks as well who is a player that I think would be very differently graded if it wasn't for Conte over the last few weeks. 
Um, I think he's sort of turned the season around. So I've given him a C plus um, because I think he's really sort of picked up. I think, you know, a few weeks or even a month back or so, that would have definitely been a D grade. But I think he's sort of C plus, even improving on that. And I think, you know, he's had a really turnaround, a real turnaround under Conte. Um, I've got Brian Gill, which is an I've been given quite a few players that are quite hard to grade. Again, I, I give him Gil a C. Um, he's one of he's sort of at the beginning of that weird Nuno period when we were playing in the Europa Conference League. He was one of the bright spots for me. Like I enjoyed watching him play. I think he's exciting. I think he's got a big future ahead. Um, it's just again he's sort of been in and out the side. He sort of looked okay in cameos under Conte, um, but it's hard to give him anything above a C. Um, I think the loan would benefit him. I'd like to see him loan to another Premier League team that, that doesn't seem to be on the cards. It looks like he'll be going back to Spain and then coming back. Um, I think it'd be stupid to write off him off now. I think he, he's going to come back. And I think I he's going to be a good player for us. And then Son, which again is another kind of weird one. Um, you can't give Son, I personally don't think you can give Son anything less than a B. Um, I think he's a B minus. I think at the beginning of the season, he was like the symbol of our club. Um, and that's sort of the wake of the Harry Kane saga. He signed that contract, he scored against Man City, and he kind of really stepped into that sort of, um, you know, BNR, the main player at our club. Um, and I think his form has been a bit strange, as it always is under Son, but he's still, I think, I think he's our top Premier League scorer, if I got that right. I think he's our top scorer this season in general, if you take out, um, you know, Harry Kane's goals in the Conference League and stuff. Um, I think it's been a bit of a strange season for Son, but it's still hard to give him anything less than a B. So I'll give him a B minus. Um, obviously, his recent injury, you know, I think we're really missing him still. Um, mm. Even though I don't think he's quite hit his top form under Conte yet, but I have no doubts that he will. And I think maybe a couple of weeks out of the team might actually do him good because we, as with many of our players, we've ever played him. So um, <clears throat> I think, as we said last year, he's probably our player of 2021. Um, it's sort of stuttering a little bit under Conte, but I have no doubt that he'll come back and he'll come back and start scoring again. So yeah, a bit of a weird selection of players, but um, yeah, those are the grades. Good stuff. Thank you very much, Billy, for kicking this off. Um, going to be going alphabetical order, which means me next. Um, I had uh, Hugo Lloris, Emerson Royale, uh, Jaffet Tanganga, Oliver Skip, and Lucas Mora. Um, I'm going to give out uh, our first A, to, to Hugo, our captain, our inspiration, our hero, our newly signed um, just leader. I think he's probably our player of the season so far for me. I think in terms of consistency, I think his contract has obviously been an enormous boost to the entire club. And it's nice to know that that sort of goalkeeper situation is settled for at least, you know, at least another season, if not for the full two years of his contract. I loved that he spoke about helping to find us his successor in his little contract interview. Um, I'd love to have seen Galini's face when he spoke about that. Um, that really made me smile. Um, so yeah, an A for Hugo. I just think we'd be lost without him most games. Um, Emerson Royale. I've given a C to Emerson. Um, it started out quite well. I thought, foolishly, he would thrive under Conte as a wingback, but he just simply doesn't have that assurance going forward, let alone the crossing ability that I think uh, a Conte wing-back requires. Um, I've mentioned this before, I think, but I would honestly like to see him repurposed into a into a right-sided centre-back in a back three. I think he'd actually be quite good there. Um, but I imagine he's destined to spend the rest of the season as uh, Adama Traore's backup, should that move ever happen, which is 
probably not a sentence I thought I'd be saying um, at the beginning of the season, but there you go. A C for Royale. Um, Jaffet, Tanganga, I've given a C minus, which feels really mean saying out loud, but and again, it started out so well, that performance against City on opening day, that sort of glorious, glorious afternoon that we had at the stadium where he was, you know, keeping Sterling and Grealish in check and got a hero's reception when he was subbed off and it all looked brilliant and he was going to be our starting right back and everything was fantastic. But I think as it's a shame that Ash isn't here to um, expand upon this a little bit, but that poor guy has just been guilty for so many goals in the last few games, few weeks, few months even, that he needs uh, at least a loan. I mean, it sounds like Spurs would quite happily flog into Milan permanently if that deal does actually go through this week. But yeah, I, I don't really think that he needs to be near the first team for a little while and hopefully with uh, with Romero back once the international break's over, by the sounds of it, that, you know, is, is, is it for Tanganga in the first team. Um, Oliver Skip is my next one I've given Skippy a B um, now I've not always been entirely sold on the idea that Skip is at the level or will get to the level required for a team aspiring for the top four and I must admit seeing him up against Kovacic and Jorginho again on the weekend didn't really ease my fears there but he's just impossible not to love isn't he and I feel like you can't really be down on a guy that just gives his absolute everything. I think he does show little sort of tangible improvements with pretty much every performance, whether it's his sort of ability on the ball, spotting passes, sort of taking the ball on the dribbles or just his sort of defensive awareness. So I've given him a B and I would absolutely love to be proved wrong about Oliver Skiff and his ability to sort of take it to the next level, but still not quite that. Um, Lucas Mora, is my last one. I've given Lucas a B as well. Um, maybe he's the player who's benefited most from Conte and his sort of exacting coaching methods and very, very precise instruction, I think. Um, I still reckon he probably winds up being a sub next season. And I didn't even mention um, Luis Diaz's name, uh, who we've been linked to today, because I'm sure that tomorrow will just be a complete sort of one of those rumours that never get spoken of again. But, you know, he might even end up being a sub this season should a deal like that actually happen. But there's clearly a reason that so many Spurs coaches go to Lucas in times of strife in, you know, the work rate he gets through. I think he's an excellent flat track bully that terrorises bad Premier League teams and bad teams in general, which is a really useful thing to have. Um, And, you know, there are signs that he's sort of putting you know, a tiny bit more sort of goal-scoring prowess into his game as well. So a B for Lucas. I think he's been one of our more consistent players. Um, Those are my guys. Rosa, your guys, please. Yeah, it looks like we've all sort of had the similar thoughts around most of our squad, which is not terribly surprising. Um, My first guy is Sergio Reguillon, and I've given him a C+. Uh, I don't know if that feels... I'm not even sure if that feels slightly mean or even slightly generous. And because he's he still seems slightly enigmatic to me in that I don't I don't know how good I'm supposed to think he is. You know, when he first arrived, there was all that talk about were we gonna have to give him back to Madrid and then and we were and then it seemed 
actually, if we did have to give him back to Madrid, that wouldn't be so bad. And, and now I'm just not sure with him. I think he's had some good performances and he's also had some real boneheaded moments like against Southampton where he had to be taken off for his own good. So I'm just not terribly convinced by him really. And I wouldn't be sad um, if uh, Cessignon ended up being, you know, the, the first choice there. But at the same time, I think obviously that left side is much more solid than the right side. And he has obviously been a big part of that. So I was like C and then you get the C plus for that. Next up is Hoybier and I've given him a C plus as well. Um, because frankly, he's just looked knackered for most of the season and pretty poor. But he, the last couple of games, I think he's sort of remembered who he's supposed to be, or maybe he's just not so exhausted anymore or something. I don't know what's happened, but he seems like he might be back, which I'm really pleased to see because I like him a lot. But he's not, it, there hasn't been a sort of consistent enough performance for me to kind of push him up to the next bracket so a c plus it is for you pierre uh then i've got delhi and like he's a d but i had to give him a d plus because i just i can't be i just have to do something a tiny little bit positive um it's just been really depressing hasn't it really sad this feels like the end i don't want it to be the end but i don't know whether we've burnt him out or he whatever's gone on there, the Delhi Ali that we knew is no longer, which makes me so sad to have to say that and have to accept it, but I think it's true. So I sort of want him to go and flourish somewhere else, but that will also make me sad. So the next, so onto better things, a gentle Ben. I've given him a B plus because <laughs> I thought you'd all laugh at me if I gave him an A. <laughs> <laughs> And also, I even shocked. I know. I am shocked. I am shocked. <laughs> even I know he's not a material. Well, you know, you never know. You never know. But so I gave him the highest mark I, I thought I felt I could reasonably give him because I think he's been brilliant this season, and I've been thrilled. I think he's been really solid, um, and he's obviously working really hard. And another one of my highlights from the Leicester game was him running over to celebrate with all of the coaching staff instead of all the players. <laughs> so you know, I'm here for that. Such a B plus. And you know what? Exactly. <laughs> and you know what, Ben? You get an A for effort as well. And, you know, we may have some younger listeners who think that's really uncool, but guys, I'm here to tell you it isn't. And an A for effort will get you really far. <laughs> and so the last two, I've got Harry Kane. And Kane's grade is a bit of a shout out to my old English A level teacher who was one of the best teachers I've ever had, but also had this like insane marking system where he would literally give you like B plus plus slash A minus, which is completely maddening. I was like, I'd just rather you just, just give me a B plus. It doesn't matter. Like this system makes no sense. Um, so I've given Harry Kane a C plus slash B minus <laughs> because <laughs> I couldn't really decide. And thought because he's been quite poor for quite a long time and the sort of shenanigans over the summer were pretty you know, well, we don't need to go over that again. Um, but the last few games, again, he's just seemed like Kane of old. And now we just really need him to properly score goals regularly again. Mm. And if he can do that, then obviously it's back to, you know, A++. Uh, and the last one I've got is uh, Giovanni Lo Celso. And do you know what? I've given him a U 
for unclassified. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's just a fucking waste of everybody's time. And it would have been an F. And I bumped him down for that absolutely pathetic Instagram post where he was like, I'm just so you all know, I'm fit. And, you know, there's no, there's no other reason. There's, that's not the reason that I'm not even in the squad. And it's like, do you know what? Like, nobody cares. We're not on your side here. <laughs> just go. Just go. If we can get any money for you, that's fine. But you might as well not be here. So. Wow. Um, <laughs> our first year. Am I wrong? Uh, I'm not wrong. The, we'll, we'll maybe chat a little bit about transfers and the ins and outs that we might see this week. And I feel like. He might be edging out Tongi for everyone's sort of preferred number one departure, which is saying something after the Morecambe uh, slow walk-off. Um, Genuinely, Tom, I think that Insta tipped me over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're getting that, Rosa. <laughs> um, it was just so, like, it was just so hilarious, wasn't it? Just, like, no one is bothered, like, Gio. Like, I don't know who you think you're talking to here in terms of like there's no outrage that you're not on the bench like let alone in the starting lineup like no one's fussed at all um quite tragic really 55 million pounds that was god 55 million pounds let's not do it to ourselves Um, leading on from that shall i start my ratings with tongi then yeah go for tongi we're going straight from uh glc uh (laughs) and we're talking 50 million pound signings uh, I've given uh, Ndombele a D minus. Um, Billy, I think Billy said that was the lowest we were going. Uh, <laughs> Rosa went, you know, r- ripped up the rule book there. Um, but yeah, Tongi, £50 million. I think I saw someone describe him as the ultimate pre-COVID signing in that we mm. paid so much money for him. We put him on a six-year contract on £200,000 a week. <laughs> like... Who that, were we... Who did we think we were competing against? In that, did, like, like, did just, we think we were signing Neymar or Messi at the time? Like, what had... I'm sure, you know, he'd done things in the French League, but not 200 k a week for six years. Um, did we get yeah. like a blind auction or something? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, how Steve Hitchens still in a job, I'm not sure. Um, his attitude and effort when he comes on the pitch are just terrible. And the, the m- m- most mad thing is that he can't complete 90 minutes of football. Still, after all this time, and he's not even old, he's not a 30-something creaking player. Anyway, Tongi gets D-. minus. Uh, Matt Doherty, I've given a C-. minus. I generally think he's fairly terrible, but I thought he was our best player against Leicester when he came on for that second half. And he looked far better than Royale, who's obviously a worry. So there are definitely issues at right back um, that Conte can hopefully solve. Uh, And yeah, Doherty, if someone comes in for him, I think we should probably cut our losses and let him go. Uh, Eric Dyer, I've given an A. Ooh. Is that okay? Yeah, man. You know, well, think, you know it is with me. I love it. I think he's been reborn. Um, he's a rocket centre-back. Uh, Romero's back soon. I'm excited to see them together. Uh, and he probably deserves to be captain at some point. I don't know how that happens with uh, Ugo and Kane still around. But um, 
yeah, Dyer. I think Dyer deserves an A and has been one of our best players this season for sure. Um, Charlie, you mentioned when you were talking about Lucas, you said maybe mm. he's benefited most from Conte. I'm going to suggest maybe Dav Sanchez has benefited most from Conte. I, Rosa is Rosa is nodding furiously. As you yeah, I can't really believe I'm giving him a B plus. I can't uh, either, frankly. But go on. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just because I'm way less worried than I used to be about him. Because because Romero's about to come back, so you won't have to see him as much. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I think you know we went nine unbeaten under Conte until Chelsea. This is true. Yeah, very um, true. With a, a fairly solid three of um, him, Dyer and Gentle Ben. Uh, and uh, even when he's on the ball, I'm not quite as worried as I used to be. So anyway, maybe B. Look, let's just say B. For no, no, no. Don't, don't let me and my um, <laughs> awful prejudice talk you out of your true grades, Tom. Um, and, he has, uh, and he has been, he has been so he's much better. Improved. He he's improved. Re- he's really improved. I don't know how much he'll play once Romero's back, but um, he's good to, to be on standby and play in cup games and stuff. Uh, and then, oh, Stevie B, here's one I wouldn't be giving a C uh, <laughs> about 10 days ago. Um, but yeah, he gets a C for those two goals versus Leicester. I think he said in post-match interviews, where I thought he came across pretty well, he said he's had injuries with uh, issues with injuries um, and fitness. And I think he can tr- contribute before the end of the season. I mean, those three points against Leicester could be huge. So I don't mm. think, I think he deserves a C just for that. But just to reiterate what I've said on previous pods, he's not a striker. Stop trying to convince us that wingers are strikers and buy a striker, <laughs> please. Um, and then Charlie, you also gave me Dane Scarlett, but I'm not, <laughs> he's going to be ungraded, not for the same reasons as uh, Rosa gave GLC a U, but um, yeah, Dane, I'm, yeah, I just can't do it to him. Like the jury's out, getting mm. go on loan to a championship club and we'll go from there. Yeah, I, I am I am denied about whether or not to include him, but I, I guess he, he has started matches, albeit conference league games, so I felt like he was worthy of inclusion, but um, apparently, according to Tom, I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, he, he, needs a, he needs a loan big time, doesn't he? I also just think we should never mention that the Europa Conference happened. Again, yeah, really. agreed. So I had, we're, um, so we're in it next year. Did I, I can't remember if Conte mentioned in a press conference, I think pre-Leicester, someone asked him about the, like how the appeal was going. And he, I think he might have said, oh yeah, it's still, still ongoing. I've got this awful fear that we're going to have to like <laughs> play some one-off fixture against Wren or something to Please get into like me. the round of 206 or whatever it is before. Surely Conte would just send out like whatever, you know, yeah. children he can round up and it doesn't matter. You know, it's, only UEFA would be like what Europe needs when we're still in a pandemic is like is another continent-wide competition. Let's just send more players like hither and yon. Like, honestly, just yeah, just put it in the bin. Forget it ever happened. I think we have to. Um, that's let's bring the curtain down on that segment. That was really fun, guys. I enjoyed doing that. Thank you very much yeah, for one, your but, yeah. One quick thing about that is just like, how nice is that? Can I just like, let's look at how we graded our defence. A, B plus, mm. B plus. Mm. And even if some of that is us all, you know, liking those players individually and feeling really proud of them, that's really good. 
It like, is good. How, like when has our defence last looked like that? I think it also, it speaks, it very much speaks to Conte's own issues, I guess, in the sense that what do we give his starting wing backs? And wing backs are basically the positions that make his formation and system work. A C plus and a C. So I think you've got you've got your issues with this Spurs team right there. And also the midfield is just, you know, those two areas are clear problems. But um maybe, just maybe, Tottenham Hotspur might be doing some ridiculously sort of frantic last minute. Uh, comings and goings in the transfer market in the next few days. Who knows where we'll be when you're actually listening to this in terms of uh, getting rid of um, Conte's sort of un- unwanted players and bringing in some players. But uh, there's clearly stuff going on. Um, as we are recording, there's some slightly disappointing news seemingly coming out of Paris that the PSG move for Tongi is slightly uh, sort of coming off the rails. But who knows there? I feel like surely Ndombele can't stay this week. Billy, do you reckon we'll get... And also, question for you, Billy. How many do you think, before we talk about players we'd want to see, or maybe some of the players that are being linked quite strongly, who do you think it's absolutely imperative do not come back after the international break? We do not see again. Yeah, I think it's um, it's weird because... We've left ourselves with a lot to do in the last week. Um, I don't know what kind of really happened. Like we've had the whole of January, and he just seems to have only sort of kicked into the gear. It's like they're almost trying to play all of their Premier League games in January, and then start doing transfers, which is a very weird way of doing it. Um, mm. But I think if you look, if you looked at a couple of the things that were on Twitter the last couple of days, um, and just mirroring what Rosa says, GLC has got to go. Um, there's a couple of reports around yesterday. I think um, Dan and the Standard and a few people on Twitter were saying that he's not a good egg to have around the training camp. Um, and you can kind of see hints of that before. He doesn't seem to really have that many mates at Tottenham. Like, he doesn't seem to have like a, you know, he, he doesn't really sort of get, well, I think someone said at the time he's he's only ever done one um, post-match interview, um, which is one of the Europa League games, which he scored in a few years ago. Um, he doesn't seem to have gelled very well with the squad. Um, and there's reports that he's just not a very good character to have around. So he would be my, and it's weird, as you said earlier, it probably would have been Tongi um, after that walking game. But now GLC, I think, is the one we've got to get rid of at all costs, um, which is a shame. Which might, it might be hard as well, I guess, compared to the others, because he's away on in South America for the best part of sort of 10 days. So I don't know how it works with... Exactly. And I think that's that a stuff. problem which you're going to have with a lot of the players. I think it's going to be hard to shift these players, to be honest. Like they're all, mm. as Tom, I think Tom said earlier, they're all on quite big wages, especially Delhi and Tongi, um, two of our highest paid wages, um, wage players. Like who's going to buy them? Who's going to even loan them at this stage? Um, I saw Delhi Ali being with Brighton and Southampton today. Like you just can't, I can't imagine Delhi Ali going to those clubs. It just doesn't sound like something that's going to happen, or doesn't sound like something that even would happen. Um, it's just, I don't know where we're sort of left with a lot of these players. So I think you'd imagine that sort of GLC, um, Roden, Tongi, and Delhi are all on the way out this week, but. I'd be amazed if we managed to get rid of all of those guys. And then at the same time, you would maybe see moves for Doherty and, and Tanganga as well, I guess. This is it. You're talking about like seven players. It's it's mad that we're this active and this sort of, like we've just remembered that our like A-level start next week and we've got to like revise all these subjects. It's, it's absolutely mad. Um, Rosa, what would be 
what would what would you be happy with going into going into Brighton on sort of Saturday week? What would you be thrilled with um, had Spurs done in the next little while? Um, first of all, I can't believe you talked about remembering to revise at the last minute like it was a bad thing. <laughs> that, that's just how these things get done, surely. Um, yeah, and just sort of carrying on in kind of slightly weird uh, punitive teacher mode. Um, there's half of me that is that would be pleased if Ndombele's move to PSG fell through because I don't want him to be rewarded for bad behaviour. <laughs> um, ultimately... Uh, I've sort of got myself into a place with the transfer window where I, I think I'm just going to just ignore it as much as possible and until it's over because it makes me kind of too crazy to think about. I'd, you're right, I just I can't see all of those players going. But then the thought of having to kind of look at yeah, at Ndombele and GLC and, kind, you know, in a way, even daily, really, for like another few months is just a bit too depressing. At the, at the moment, I think I'm just thinking one of those guys out and Adama in and beyond that, I'll be kind of pleasantly surprised, probably. Like, that's really where my expectations are. Um, I think that's probably uh, a healthy way to view the next the next week. Tom, what are you looking for? I just want whatever Conte wants, really. Um, mm. I think you're right. Uh, Traore would be great. And we need something on that right wing because, Jesus Christ, it's not good, is it? Doherty and, uh, and Royale. Um, so, yeah. And, I mean, a striker, obviously, would be nice. I've said <laughs> it before. Um, and something in centre, centre mid. And, yeah, I just can't really cope with Delhi and Tongi and La Celso on the bench any longer really I mean the, from the players that are being spoken about it seems like yeah the Traore deal is one of those like classic Tottenham transfer sagas where we're eking it out for as long as possible to try and you know get as good a deal as possible which I guess is fine if it comes off um, then you've got Sofian Amrabat who sort of caused Spurs Twitter today and we're recording this on Tuesday um, Spurs Twitter sort of revolted for about half a day at news of this poor guy being linked to us um, It was the full Danny Rose wasn't it I had to go It was the full Danny Rose yeah um, I mean my take on him and I tweeted something to this effect was like basically what Tom said in that if Conte has greenlit the signing of this guy um and you know, I think the thing about Conte is that he often looking at the players that he signed, particularly at Inter, he just wants like round pegs for round holes. He just wants guys who make sense, who can play in his system, who kind of knuckle down, good pros. And again, reading a few pieces tonight, you know, in The Guardian, The Standard, places like that, it seems like this is someone that Conte himself has kind of recommended to um, to Spurs as a good fit for what he wants from a central midfielder. So, and also the other point, I guess, with central midfielders is, and I imagine we did want someone like a Frank Kessie or uh, or McKenney at Juventus to come in this window, but those are really ambitious players to sign in the middle of the season. So you're looking at maybe signing those guys in the summer. So then you have to go and try and find good players that Conte likes 
who are available and their clubs are willing to let go on sort of short-term loans with no obligations for us to sign because we'll hopefully sign sort of flashier players in the summer. That is probably not a very deep pool of players to pick from. So if this is who makes sense for now, then fine. Um, and then, as we mentioned a little minute ago, uh, Luis Diaz from Porto uh, is the sort of textbook uh, transfer rumour out of nowhere that Spurs are really, really good at to get everyone excited when they've just sort of had a slightly more underwhelming transfer rumour crop up in Amrabat. Um, and that could go one of two ways, maybe. Billy, are you confident about that one? It seems like maybe it could happen, according to people like Miguel Delaney tonight. I think it is a, a probably going to be a case of a classic, you know, like Martinez was in summer and Dybala was a couple of summers before that and Moutinho was a couple of years before that. I think it's going to be one of those classic ones that sort of gets the rug pulled under, from under us um, in the next couple of days that we sort of tried. Um I'd love to sign him. I think it'd be a really exciting signing, but I just would love to go what happens in like our transfer meetings, even though we've got like this new whole transfer team of Paratici and stuff. Like, so you look at our team and you think, right, you've got big issues at right back. We've got real issues in centre midfield, which we've had for as long as I can remember. You sort of imagine them sitting there, look at this, and then should we go, should we just should we buy another winger? Another winger? Anyone? And that's sort of what we seem to always end up landing on. It's just like spending all of our money on a winger, but I think as a club, that is what we are, isn't it? You know, we've got a famous history of having like insanely exciting wingers. Um, if you go all the way back to like Ginola, um, you know, Lennon, Bale, Son. So let's stick to what we're good at and just buy, spend all of our money on a winger. Let's do it. Let's go for it. <laughs> and it's like, it is bizarre that we do seem to have this kind of secret stash of money to wheel out for and maybe it is just like a complete hoax and it's just something to get the fans sort of temporarily invested again but like we sort of seem to sometimes plead poverty but then can bid like 55 million euro on another winger or like Martinez last summer or you know we do have this cash that for a certain profile of player i.e. a winger <laughs> we'll yeah, I always, think um, we'll always I think find Dan's... a spare 50 mil I think in one of Dan Kilpatrick's articles today in the standard, they're talking about, I forget the name of the club that he's at. There's a, a non-league winger called Oli Tanner, I think. And we haven't met his asking price, which is £300,000. <laughs> and then we're like in the same window. <laughs> in, in the, like rumours of us meeting Martinez's release clause, which um, uh, Diaz's release clause, which is like €80 million. Euros. It's, like, it's such a strange club that we are. And like Traore, as the price has been the same as mentioned from the 1st of January to now it's not going to change and we've sort of been haggled over it for a month but then we're going to go and slap 80 million pounds on a winger so it's just you know that's it's always an interesting transfer window for us that's what I'm it's always interesting yeah the the Troy away one's just like you know that's his price how fun would it have been to have had Troy away for one of those Chelsea games even just to like kind of shit Chelsea up a little bit would have been great, but I don't know. We're, we, that's just not who we are. That um, that Ollie Tanner guy as well. I didn't realise until reading Dan's piece. He's been training with us as well. Like he's sort of playing matches for. I think he's with Lewis, is it? And training with us, and yet we still can't <laughs> quite get that one over the line. Um, it would be quite funny as well if he did become the first signing in the Antonio Conte era. Just a little nineteen-year-old non-league winger. <laughs> um, 
that might finish Santanio off. So maybe it's a good thing that that doesn't happen if we can't quite get to the 300 grand. Rosa. Yeah, I was just thinking, I'm a, just one thing I'm a little bit sad about. I'm a, I'm a bit sad that like why now Dem like still doesn't want to come to Spurs. <laughs> Although there was a thing tonight. Like six um, years later or however long it is. Sammy Mockbell in the um in the mail said apparently he and Julian Draxler, who has also been linked to Premier League clubs for about 15 years. I cannot believe he's only 28 years old. Um According to the mail, they are open to the idea of coming to Tottenham, but I don't know. It also sounds like quite definitively reported elsewhere that Wijnaldum is quite happy in his Parisian mansion winning like six cups over there. So I don't know. Yeah. How dare he? <laughs> I think it's just funny. Like imagine like um, this window is so strange because we've got a manager who quit the champions of Italy because he wasn't happy with their transfer business. Then you're kind of imagining that he sort of sat down with Daniel Levy and Paratici and thought, right, in my first window, what I want is a non-league winger and <laughs> someone who can't get off the bench in Fiorentina. That would be, I think that's going to take Tottenham to the next level. It's just what kind of bizarre situation that we find ourselves in, honestly. Um, but I really, you know, I've, as we always talk about, I've still got this weird paranoia and I think everyone does. And it's even like permeated into the press that Conte is just going to get up and leave. But um, I, I do think we kind of got to put our mind onto the summer transfer window. That's the one where we're really, really going to test ourselves. It just doesn't look like much is going to happen this window. I was going to talk about that weird paranoia, actually, that um, is entirely understandable considering what being a Spurs fan involves. But uh, Tom, do you think that we as a fan base need to like stop it and like calm calm the fuck down a bit with this whole, oh my God, he's going to leave, he's going to leave. And because I think it does sort of influence probably the reporting that happens to an extent. I think, you know, the questions that probably get asked of content press conferences are slightly influenced by sort of the Spurs online community yeah. being so terrified. It was kind of embarrassing when Spurs reporters have had to ask him in press conferences, everyone thinks you're going to leave, are you going to leave? (laughs) I think we do need to chill out about it a bit. Come on, he's at least going to stay till the summer and see where we're at in the summer. We, We might sneak forth. If we do sneak forth, we've got a very good chance of uh, attracting some great players in the summer and him getting a proper transfer window. It's really hard to uh, do business in January, obviously, but yeah, we need to we need to chill out. He knew to a certain extent he knew what he was taking on, surely, particularly because he he was managed at Chelsea, one of our biggest rivals. So mm. he he knows how we operate. I want to like put my foot down and be like, everyone just everyone needs to just stop panicking now. But then there's also a part of me that's like, oh, we are just a really like slightly hysterical fan base and we're like super sensitive and we're just watching the whole time being like are you gonna leave are you gonna leave are you gonna leave but everybody chill out he's here and we've done this before with a lot of different people I mean we panicked basically every year about Poch Mm. and then he eventually got sacked and we also stressed out for quite a long time about Hugo and look what that crazy man has done. He's basically going to be here until, you know, he, it's 40, basically, like, yeah. he... Yeah, I mean, it's actually mad. I don't I don't really understand it, but that's that's what's happened. So maybe we can, I mean, you know, maybe just try and enjoy it. I remember being at that Newcastle game that I think we won 4-0 under Redknapp 
when he was being incredibly strongly linked with the England job and everyone basically singing, you know, Harry, we want you to stay for 90 minutes. And that now seems hilarious that we were like that terrified about Harry Redknapp. So this is just part of our makeup, I think, isn't it, Billy? Yeah, do you remember like the weird, the Gareth Bale summer when um, it sort of, I think it all plays on our sort of mindset as Tottenham fans, when he was, everyone knew that he was going to Real Madrid and then he did that tot, that Lucas Aid advert where he was like wearing like a, a Tottenham shirt and then was like, oh, maybe he's not going. And it just kind of like, we sort of, we were in our heads the whole summer about people leaving our club. I think it's just part of what we do. And then I think he was on the FIFA cover as well in the Tottenham shirt and everyone was like, oh, maybe he's staying. And it was like, just sort of always in this constant loop of like paranoia about people leaving us um and eventually they're all going to so you know it's just one of them things that we got to live as being a Tottenham fan I guess yeah I'm just trying to enjoy it and it's quite hard but you know hopefully the next few days will make that a bit easier um that was good fun guys I enjoyed talking about our collective uh paranoia uh, that we live under as Tottenham um Let's move on to our culture picks for the week, please. Um, Tom, you can kick us off. Your pick, sir. I've got to talk about the second series of Euphoria, which is on Now TV and Sky. It's come back really, really strong, I think. It's such a dark series about teenagers at a school in the US. Um, I think my favourite genre of TV is... um, teen dramas where the teens are played by 25 year olds uh so uh sex education that's all of them that's all all of them but but i I read something great about sex education on on netflix which i'm a good fan of is that they're teen dramas that no teens are watching that people our age in their 30s and 40s are watching i i don't know maybe maybe more younger people are watching euphoria but anyway they're all about 25 the actors and actresses it's not for the faint-hearted there's a hell of a lot of uh drug taking violence a lot of dicks and boobs (laughs) the the second series has a hell of a lot of um full frontal male nudity the music is chosen brilliantly it's really well directed and written all by one guy sam levinson and you can really tell because it has this really coherent aesthetic and writing um Zendaya our fellow Spurs fan is uh is brilliant in it uh and um yeah it's the second series that starts so well the music is incredible like the OJs Jerry Rafferty uh you'll find yourself shazamming like 10 times during each episode but um yeah there's two series it's all on now tv and sky and yeah it's um it's so brilliant if you haven't watched it yet I've just started. Um, I've finally given in. I worried for a long time, partly because I seem to remember um, feeling quite old watching Skins. And I saw that Skins, the first episode of Skins aired 15 years ago this week. And I remember feeling old then. So I'd sort of put off watching Euphoria for fear of feeling really ancient. But um, it's so good that you stop worrying about that quite quickly. I would thoroughly recommend it. We have to sort of like, we can't, we definitely can't watch two episodes in a row because it's too much. And it just like, it's so visceral as a show that you kind of have to like allow yourself a bit of a cooling off period, we find, before you can dive back into it. But yeah, yeah it's, it's, like it's, genuinely, it's incredible. Genuinely exhausting to watch. Mm. And you kind of go into every episode panicky. Um, um, particularly exhausting if you have a daughter because uh, you just spend the rest of the week worrying about what might, before them 
This um, is why I felt like I can't, I'm, like I'm not ready for it yet. <laughs> they're in America, it's fine. It's not. It's <laughs> here, I'm sure. Um, Rosa, what's your pick, please? Yeah, I do. I do need to get on to Euphoria, really. Yeah, nothing else but for Spurs fans and Daya. Um, I also started watching another pretty intense show that I can't watch more than one episode of at a time without having to kind of decompress with something else, which is Yellow Jackets. Um, I think everyone here has watched that, right? And I've only watched like three episodes. And I think I'm a bit like, is this too scary for me? So, um, but I kind of have to carry on watching it because I'm literally the demographic that's about like I am that I am their age so they're like teenagers in the 90s and their plane crashes in the middle of nowhere and then I guess there's like supernatural stuff and cannibalism and then some of them survive and they're now you know older women um in the present day and it's got incredible actresses in it so especially Melanie Linsky, who I love, and Christina Ricci and Juliette Lewis. And the music in it just kind of took me back like straight away with this very intense sort of sense memory, like I was right back in <laughs> 1996. Um, but again, I feel like I have to finish it, but I'm also slightly terrified. So I watched, I sort of had to follow up every episode of that with an episode of Girls by Ever, which I know you talked about last week, which I loved so much. And I also feel really pleased that we seem to, between you, me and Tom, we've each like picked a girl as if it's like the Spice Girls. <laughs> uh, Billy and so you've, you've got Renee. You have to watch it, I've got yeah. Renee and you've got Sarah. Yes. And Tom's a busy, busy Phillips guy um but the thing that i watched i do have like a sort of full recommendation that i watched last week which is tick tick boom which i loved so much and that's um lin-manuel miranda's directing debut but it's not his music it's um about jonathan larson who wrote uh, the musical rent and it's based on a musical that he wrote about um kind of hitting 30 and feeling like he was running out of time to create a work of greatness. And and then, but it's also now kind of overcast with the sort of, with the tragedy of the fact that Jonathan Larson did in fact die at 35, kind of suddenly of some kind of aneurysm, I think. And he died sort of the night um, that Rent like premiered off Broadway. So you're kind of watching that and it's an incredibly emotional experience. And it has just an unbelievably good uh, central performance from Andrew Garfield. Like he's just goes at it sort of full throttle, I think. Just emotion kind of seeping out of every pore, really. It's a great kind of picture of someone in the middle of a creative struggle, I think. And they don't know where they're going. And it's, but they know they want to create something incredible and how that sort of affects the people around them as well. And it's interesting that Lin-Manuel Miranda chose to do it because you can sort of see the connections as well between his work and Jonathan Larson. So that idea in Hamilton of Hamilton um, writing as if he was running out of time is is such a kind of, he's obviously really attracted to these characters who have this kind of incredible energy and they feel like they Mm. need to, create as much as possible before they sort of drop dead really and you can see that in Lin-Manuel Miranda's own work I think but Tick Tick Boom is just it's on Netflix it's 
as it, yeah, I had afterwards, I just, I think I said to you guys, I just needed to go and have like a lie down and a cry really. Cause it was just, <laughs> it's beautifully done. It's beautifully acted. Um, but there's kind of no getting away from the sort of central tragedy really. But then he did create something incredible. So. And I just say on girls five ever busy Phillips is of course my favorite member because she starred in the ultimate 25-year-olds playing teenagers uh, TV show, Dawson's Creek, which I know we're obviously all massive fans of. Oh, yeah. And any Freaks and Geeks fans on this podcast? Yes. Kim Kelly. She was in that. Yes, She was Kim Kelly. Yeah, I love that show so much. Yeah, always been a busy Phillips fan. She's kind of been in everything, hasn't she? Like I was looking at her, um, she just sort of crops up all over the place. And she's still best friends with Michelle Williams, a.k.a. the dream Jen uh, from Dawson's <laughs> Creek. We'll, we'll do a Dawson's Creek special at some point. I think all the episodes are on uh, Netflix. Oh, so you yeah, were, I was you genuinely were... thinking of doing a rewatch. That Maybe skipping hard. season five. Although that is when Busy Phillips shows up. Tricky. Um, so you were a Jen girl, Tom. Yeah, Jen, yeah, Jen, definitely. I feel yeah, like I was probably yeah. I was probably Joey, but she I don't know, like was I really? Who else was there? This is where we could get off on a very odd tangent now. Much, e- much easier as a as a straight woman because it's only Pacey. Oh, of course. What There's no other option. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, yeah, that's he's probably my choice, quite he honestly. He was so he good was. in the the affair, was it the Don West one? So yeah. good in the affair. Yeah, and, I never yeah, finished the affair. Dream. We got to the last season and just, I mean, it, this is quite, I feel like this is common in our household. Is it common with you guys where you get like all the way up to a final season of something and then for no reason that you can put your finger on, like inexplicably just oh, like quit on it. Yeah. The affair. I did that. I did that with a with good us. wife. If we're going to kind of circle back to like Renee Elise Goldsberry, who was like the amazingly named Geneva Pine. In The Good Wife. <laughs> Who's in Girls 5 Ever. By the way. Who's in Girls 5 Ever. Um, I just couldn't finish it. I was absolutely addicted for six seasons. And then I was just like, oh, I can't be bothered anymore. Do you think it's the investment that you feel means that when you do get disappointed in a show, the emotional kind of letdown you feel is so like massive that your response is quite outsized and you're just like, no, go away. I don't want anything more to do with you. You've let me down so much. I'm just despite the fact it makes no sense for me to have invested like 47 hours in you, I can't give you the last eight hours. No, you're not having it. Like, Conversely, there is some that you have to see through to the bitter end. And Dawson's Creek was one of those. <laughs> I remember feeling like, I was like, I have to finish this. I don't care how old I am when this finishes. I have to see it through to the end. Worth it. The, Worth it the, overall. The awful college years episodes were so bad. Yeah, I watched great. every single Just... one. I can so... remember telling friends, male friends, I couldn't come out on a Sunday to play <laughs> football down the park because Dawson's Creek was on. Um, and I think they took the piss, understandably. You're not going to get this another Spurs podcast, I'll tell you that. Um, I'll do my ones quickly because I'm dying to hear Billy's movie recommendations for the week. Um, I've enjoyed Fragments, the new Bonobo album. Um, I enjoyed the new FK Twigs mixtape, Capri Songs, which is very good, in my opinion. Um, I think it's, I think it might be the best thing she's put out. It's definitely the most eclectic, um, even for her. It's got Georgia Smith and Shy Girl on it as well, which is always good. Um, 
we have been watching in our house this week um a, a, well apart from the grief we felt uh at finishing girls five ever we have been excited because we've really got into physical on apple tv plus which is a show that's been on our list for a while um we finally sort of dived into it properly um and it's really good it's really really good it's a very dark comedy where rose Byrne, who is always excellent in my opinion her character sheila um she kind of hustles her way to um an aerobics empire um and she has this kind of peep show style internal dialogue that's really wickedly funny and she's like hilariously mean and just it's it's excellent that bit um and the house that she and her husband who's played by rory scoville who's also very good uh, the house they live in is this incredible sort of late 70s early 80s wood paneled dream home in san diego which for sort of property lust is very much worth um tuning in just for that and also the california coastline that it's, it's it's in san diego as i said it just looks so beautiful um it's worth watching for that and also finally definitely worth watching for the sort of dying days of disco soundtrack that it has um soundtracks and apple music it's really really good uh, particularly for any exercise you might be doing in january if you're very tedious like me and getting back into the swing of things physically why am i still talking in a really weird uh sort of radio dj way i'm going to move it on to billy tell us what films you've been watching billy um yeah and before that i just i'm um, speaking of films um tv shows that you just kind of watched at the end i finished afterlife um which is one of the worst things i've, I've ever seen but i sort of watched it out of like <laughs> really are we we watched the first season and then again yeah. i don't know why we didn't start the second but i, I, it's weird. I, I feel this, like, like i've seen people say good things about the third season yeah but, huh? it's weird i think there's like some weird cult thing that ricky gervais ricky gervais has whipped up where he's like self-promoting and like retweeting anyone that says anything vaguely positive about afterlife so it just kind of like self-serves into this huge like um this huge movement of everyone praising it but i think it's like if you gave like a gcse drama student a netflix budget that's basically what it is it's just like how can i make like a really terrible way of like appearing things that are you know supposed to be making you feel sad and this it's just i think it's so badly done um and i grew up like literally idolizing ricky gervais like, the, the office is like my all-time favorite tv show i've seen every stand-up show that he's ever done but i think this is just like so bad so that's so bad and i kind of watched it out of curiosity um to see how it would end and it was, the end was even worse than i ever imagined so that was absolutely terrible um i just started ozark on netflix for the new series um which was really really good first episode it took me ages to remember like everything that happened in series three but as, as soon as i was into it it's like yeah this is going to be really good so I, i've only seen one episode so far but i do think that's going to be a really really strong series but the the thing i wanted to recommend is licorice pizza um which is the new t paul thomas anderson film um and it's just like such an incredibly entertaining film it just had such an incredible um like cast and it looks incredible um it's like set in la um and it stars Cooper Hoffman, which is Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. And it's it's got like it's getting like loads of like controversy about it. It's got some like detractors because it's essentially a love story. But one of the characters who Cooper Hoffman plays is 15, and the love interest, who played by um, Alana Haim, is 25. And it's kind of like uh, this weird thing that they're not really together but they are together and it's kind of a love story and it's kind of not they're kind of just hanging out it's a bit strange in that regard but it's such an incredible film um bradley cooper absolutely steals the show in like a 
15 minute cameo in it that he's absolutely incredible um but i had like the least cool moment ever because I'm, I'm you know i don't know Haim. i'm not familiar with the the band um I'm, they're not really my kind of thing and i just sort of sat there this whole the whole way through the film saying who is this like lead woman like she is absolutely incredible and that uh, her family are all in it as well playing her family and i turned to my friend leanne when i was watching it um one of the teachers at my school who i went to cinema with and i said they actually look like sisters don't they do you think they're really sisters and I thought, obviously they're sisters they're high i must have looked like such an idiot and at the end i googled her name i said like, oh for god's sake of course it's i even knew that they were in it i just kind of like just totally slipped my mind but she is absolutely incredible in the lead um lead role of this film um she plays a character called alana in it as well um and yeah it's a really really good film i I said straight away, I, I'd be doubtful if I'll see a better film in 2022, which I know is a crazy oh, show. Wow. But it's that good. I would really, really recommend going to see it. I think Paul Thomas Anderson is arguably the best director working today. Um, and it's such a different film. Like he's made a string of like really intense, weird like films lately, um, stretching back to They Will Be Blood. But this is just such an enjoyable film. I would really, really recommend going to see it. I want to go and see it right now. That's how much uh, you've moved me there, Billy. I'm dying. I'm so you, excited. You guys, to see that. you guys are more into Haim, aren't you? Like, it's not. I don't. Even, like, I didn't even recognise them from looking at them. Like, it's just not on my radar at all. But you guys are into Haim, right? I like them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're good. They're good at what they do for sure. I like them. Tom's kind of looking a little more suspect. I liked them initially, but then I kind of, they kind of make the same song every time. But they do seem a lot of fun. Estee is uh, the bassist is uh, a good interviewee. Yeah, I've spent time a little bit of time and they are superb fun and incredibly talented. And it's it's I'm really thrilled to see Alana getting the shine because yeah, and she, she was, is absolutely incredible in this life. She's obviously going to have like a massive acting career, I think. Um, right, I need to get to the cinema to see that, and we need to round things up. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Billy. Thank you, Rosa. That was tons of fun. Um, we'll see you after the uh, the international break, I guess. And fingers crossed, we have a few new Spurs players to dissect. Billy, see you soon. Up the Spurs. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.